Hi, good morning. My name is Rich and we're Consumer Hub. We focus on recruiting, marketing, innovation and sales professionals across the FMCG sector. And this is the FMCG podcast where we hear insights straight from some of the best leaders that we can get hands on and hear their insight into their business, their story and also what's going on in the category and in the wide industry. Today we've got Marcus from Slingsby Gin and also from Spirit of Harrogate and we're really, really excited to have him on the show and hear all about his business and also more widely the gin category and what's going on there. So Marcus, just great to have you on the show today. Can you just give us a, a quick kind of uh, introduction into you, kind of your story and, and the business, if that's all right? Yeah, well, I, I'm not your uh, stereotypical uh, FMCG uh, chief exec. Um, I'm an accountant by profession. Um, and it's taken me uh, a long time and a lot of counselling to be able to say that in public. Um, so uh, my, my expertise, if you like, in the drinks industries uh, largely come from the consumer side rather than the, from the technical. Um, my co-colleague, co uh, the other owner of the business, uh, Mike Carthy, is a chemist. So a chemist and accountant, um, it's an unusual combination for, for running a drinks business. But um, we are where we are. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, I, I, was a, I worked in corporate finance and private equity and then eventually uh, backed this business back in 2008 and, and never looked back since. So um, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the last uh, 15 years or so in the uh, in the drinks industry. It's a, it's an ever-changing world with um, sort of challenges coming from every angle. So it's, it's great fun. There's never two, two days the same. What, what gave you the, the push to get into drinks then and move out of finance? I'd, I'd always wanted to, to, to run my own business. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I'd, I'd spent a lot of time looking at other people running the business and, and gathering sort of ideas and thoughts and really wanted an opportunity to start implementing some of those things myself. Hmm. Um, you know, just ways of motivating staff, ways of organizing, ways of thinking about strategically. Um, you know, I'd picked up bits throughout my career and, and this was a great opportunity to... Um, to start putting in place some of those those ideas that I've gathered throughout the rest of my working career. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, um, fascinating. Yeah, it, it's, it's um, it, it, do you know what? It's actually a theme in some of the um, startups that we've spoken to that have kind of gone all the way and, and remained independent. Is actually that the owners aren't from an FMCG background, and yeah. um, I wonder if it's just partly down to you know you, you're not. Um, typecast by the mold you know coming to one of the big companies so you you kind of got that kind of independence of thought there i don't know that's just just one of the I, things i've observed no, I, yeah. there's there's plenty of independent businesses that, that do come out from the from the big guys as well mm. uh, but but yeah you, i mean you're right certainly if i think across some of our uh, colleagues in the industry the, the the you know they're not always the traditional backgrounds but you know i think it's like anything you, you need different ideas yeah. and, and helping pop um you know that chucks those ideas around. I mean, we've got certainly, you know, plenty of staff that have come from more traditional backgrounds that so they complement, you know, me and I complement them in different ways. So yeah. I think it all works. Yeah, <laughs> no, we have a lot of fun anyway, that's for certain. Yeah, yeah. Well, t t just on that point then, tell us a bit about Slingsby Gin and Spirit of Harrogate because there's... Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's funny enough, it's actually our seventh anniversary there this week. Hmm. Um, and I don't know where those seven years have gone, to be honest. <laughs> They've flown by. Um, we, we already had an existing alcoholic drinks business. Mm. Uh, so we'd, we'd, we'd bought that out from its private equity owners and um, really wanted back in sort of 2013, you could see with the likes of Fever Tree and Sip Smiths and, and people like that, Chase, sort of kicking off really the, the, the gin boom, probably two, two or so years earlier. Um, we could really see the trend in, in white spirits, particularly gin. 
coming. So we, we set to work in, in developing a, a concept for a gym brand. And we wanted to very much to have that really f- uh, focused on, on Harrogate, which is the town in which we yeah. live and work and, and our kids have, have been brought up in. And uh, we really wanted to, I suppose, if you like, taking ideas more from the, the wine industry with terroir and trying to, to, to sort of plant that, that premium spirit gin product in mm. very much in the, in the local market using local as much as possible, local botanicals, locally sourced, um, you know, bottles, stoppers, what, whatever we could as much as possible sourcing in and around the Harrogate area. Uh, and obviously the thing that Harrogate's probably most famous for is its water. Yeah. Uh, so using the Harrogate spring water was, was a key, a key part of the, the development concept for, for the Slingsby gin. And, you know, set about developing developing aging, and then and obviously then start thinking about branding and names and that sort of thing. Um, and fairly quickly, we we settled on the name Slingsby because William Slingsby discovered yeah. the Harrogate Spring Well back in 1571. So um, so apologies for the noise back in oh no no, um, no but back in 1571. So so Slingsby was was a, like the father figure, if you like, of, of Harrogate Water, and so it seemed like a really good sort of uh you know person character if you like to yeah. root the bandit and also i've often joked that because he'd been dead for so long that his family couldn't sue us for <laughs> job. Um, i don't think there's any great truth in that but it was certainly um you know we thought that was a good character to represent the brand um so you say yes seven years um we, we launched our first product in august 2015 and took about a year to develop we did 18 different variants to to get to the final wow. sort of flavor profile um, we work very strongly with uh, Langley Distillers in uh, in Birmingham, yeah, um, to help us with the distillate because it's 24 botanicals, so it's quite a complex distillate, and it can um, it can you know very easily if we overdid one particular ingredient, could we could find that the, the cloudy cloudy liquids or anything like that. So yeah. we we spent a long time doing the the back back research on the on the characters on the products, what we wanted it to look like, what we wanted flavor profile um and then yeah launched in 2015 and uh really it was it was such a whirlwind because uh, our second ever customer was uh, was long clume restaurant in cartmel um, oh, Simon right, which at the time was britain's great their best restaurant double michelin starred and that yeah. was our second ever customer so wow. we sort of got off to a, a bit of a flyer with that and then followed up a few months later with with listing in harrods and we sold out in nine days so it really was a bit of a, of a kind of whirlwind um those early days um and we, we have never really looked back since if i'm, mm. if I'm honest still in long, long claim and still in harrods so that's brilliant yeah so it was uh and and the whole sort of concept really for us was we wanted to to we our, our core business our core alcoholic drinks business supplies the major multiples tesco and pretty much everybody in yeah. the retail sector but we'd never supplied customers like Waitrose and John Lewis and mm. Harrods or Harvey Nicks. Those were completely new. And it was really the concept was to develop, uh, you know, a broader product offering that we could actually take to those premium retailers and booths and people like that, that we'd never really traded with in the past. Yeah. And Slingsby gave us the opportunity to do that. That's really interesting. So kind of, yeah, adding an extra um, sort of aspect to your, your existing portfolio and augmenting kind of skill and expertise that was already in the space. Yeah, we were, to be honest, we were very nervous at the time um, uh, with the brands getting sort of confused and the people potentially, uh, you know, 
not, not understanding the, the premium nature of the Slingsby brand and the spirit of Harrogate. That's why we had it as a separate statutory entity. But with, with hindsight, that was probably the, the wrong thing to do because the, the quality standards that we meet with the core business, ICB, yeah. meant that we could assure customers like Harrods that this was double BRC, double to A, BRC accredited. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, and so yeah. that, that actually, so so yeah, our, our nervousness, if you like, of the of, of everyday good value brands being mixed with, with a premium or ultra premium brand at the time, I think wasn't, uh, we would probably got that one wrong. And if I had my time again, I would, I would have, I'd have made the connection a lot more clear at the time. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, that's, that's really interesting. These was really important. And what can you just for any any of our like watchers or listeners that aren't familiar with um, the brand, can, can you just sort of explain the difference between Spirit of Harrogate and Slingsby's? Because I think I think I understand that. Yeah. Spirit of, is Spirit of Harrogate more of like a it's an experience centre in Harrogate itself, or yeah. Well, the, the firstly, Spirit of Harrogate is is the holding is the company. Yeah. And okay. It yeah, owns yeah. the brand Slingsby, which is the right. gym brand. But we also, and, and again, that you know, it's it's. I would be lying to you if I said it was uh, it was a strategic decision. It was very much uh, serendipity. But we decided to open up a retail unit, nice. really to launch the brand. Yeah. Um, and it was really initially was just going to be a, a three month pop up, yeah. just to give us a bit of traction. Um, but but that sort of idea or that concept evolved, and we've we've had the retail unit now. S- seven years and all oh, right um, you know we have a pre-covid, pre-covid we'd, we'd do twenty four thousand visitors a year and um and linking back to your original question that gives us that direct to consumer feedback mm. which is absolutely yeah. valuable yeah so at, at any point in time we have all our development gins in the retail unit and the consumers can come in and they can sample them for as long as they want um free of charge and, and we can get their feedback so whenever we do launch a product um we know it's been sort of extensively market tested by, yeah. by the consumers that come in and we get their feedback on top of that we we um we offer a, a broad generic it's not a slingsby gin experience it's a gin experience where we take people through the history of gin and the styles of gin so that we get we share our passion for the category with, with consumers um, and help them understand the the history and the, the some amusing sort of stories of the category, but also how to to pair things with different tonics or different cocktails, yeah. and just generally, um, you know, give those consumers who are quite interested a, a little bit more, um, you know, information about the category, um, as well as offering them plenty of gin, so they they, yeah. they get well uh, well looked after. Good value. Oh, okay, that's, we've, that's we've been doing those experiences really since since day one, and again, those weren't really planned, but but they've evolved, and they've you know we get outstanding uh, you know reviews on TripAdvisor and yeah. and the like. So they're they're really good opportunity for us to to share our passion for for the the gin category. Yeah, yeah. So in yeah. terms of in terms of Slingsby itself, now you know seven years. If we if we we, we broadly speaking, we have uh, three, uh, if you like more traditional gin so we have a london dry gin which is the original blue bottle product we now have a navy strength gin and we have a uh, an old tom so those are our sort of gin straight gin offerings and then on the flavored side um we launched a rhubarb gin very very soon after we started nice. um and that's you know ever since day one's been our absolute outstanding seller do you use any uh, wakefield rhubarb 
we got into it very early and and again it was one of those where it was in the store and people tried it and they just it disappeared so it was like look this is we've got to do this and originally yeah. it was just gonna be a limited edition i think um last year we did distilled 22 tons of, of rhubarb which wow. again comes from the yorkshire uh, rhubarb triangle so it's got great yeah. provenance and it's um you know Aldroyd's farm supplier so um i'm you know told you can hear it crackling in the night when the candlelight and all that stuff i've never actually visited myself yeah but, yeah um but no it's certainly it's uh you know that that rhubarb gin's been been you know an absolute standout for us but we followed that with uh we have a marmalade now which again we can't find a a commercial source of um, of citrus fruits in Yorkshire. Yeah. We haven't found that just yet, although climate change is working on it. So we use local produced marmalade um, for that, and and then we have uh, gooseberry, which is from just near Beverly, nice, uh, and a and a blackberry, which is uh, again uh, around the York area. So so we have the the, uh, the, the four flavored gins, if you like, which complement the three more traditional styles. Yeah, and then just to complete the range. Um, we, we produce a single grain vodka, which um, which just gives gives the non-gin drinkers, if you like, an alternate. And, and obviously, with the market moving maybe more in favour of uh, vodka over the next few years, it's, it's mm. probably a good idea to to have that in place. Oh, okay, so that's really interesting. Uh, what what um, so you're saying that the rhubarb is the best sellers? And if there was uh, one that I was going to try first. Uh, as a bit of an outside shot uh, to compare with the rhubarb, like what would you say is is, is your recommendation? Well, see, it's it's it is a very personal thing, um, and we actually almost find that the market in the UK is 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 divided between north and south. Mm. Um, so what we often find is that down near the London area, the London dries are much more popular than the than the flavours, whereas in the the regions, the flavours are, are quite popular. Yeah, but. Me personally, I, I mean, I would always go for the for the uh, the Navy Strength um, because it, not because it's a I mean it is a high strength product, fifty seven point two percent, but it's it's a higher concentration of the botanical mix, so we get mm. you get a more intense flavour profile from it. Nice. Uh, and so so you know if you're going to do a good old fashioned gin and tonic, yeah. you know that yeah, would be the, the one I, I would start with. Okay, that's good to know. Um, I've got some uh, some drinking coming up at the weekend with the hot weather, so uh, clearly I need to get some navy strength in. Um, Just use thirty five mils though, because it is a strong product. Uh, yeah. I would recommend a, a great big, solid, chunky slight wedge of, of grapefruit. Because okay. our base citrus in our gin, all gins have typically got a base citrus, and often it's lemon or lime. I was this grapefruit that gives it a very aromatic sort of um, ah, yeah yeah um, you know experience for the for the consumer. Yeah um, yeah. Big, big chunky uh, grapefruit wedge in there with your tonic and a little bit of Angostura's bitters maybe or or even um, you know fever tree uh, um, the pink fever tree tonic that they do with that has Angostura's in it yeah, it, yeah. it accentuates that high flavour profile oh, that sounds that's a good recommendation my um family that I'm off to see in Newcastle, uh, my sister-in-law is, gin is her typical choice. So whenever I go, right. I always get to sample their gin collection. But uh, I need to get her a, a, um, well, she, she a little bottle. She We've got about 120 there to, to look at. Yeah. Well, interesting you say, I think they've, um, she and her husband have been down there quite a few times to visit. They, they've done these like gin hotels in London before. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, what, what um, I mean, you kind of touched on it there with the, uh, the grapefruit um, sort of base to the botanicals, but what makes the Slingsby brand different? Like, why do you think it's got so much traction in the marketplace? Because well, it's very well known. I mean, 
and in terms of ingredients, I mean, obviously the you know the water, even at the navy strength mm. of seven point two, there's still uh, thirty odd. Uh, 30, 33% of it is still Harrogate water. So I think yeah. that's really important. I think the, the water is obviously key, but, but those local ingredients as much as possible, those are a differentiating factor. Yeah. But as I touched on earlier, I think the the, the fact that we use um, a, a base of grapefruit, I think makes it um, just that little bit softer. We're not a very heavy juniper gin. We're probably a bit of a pre-war style rather than, you know, after the war, the gin's got very focused on on really on juniper and and you know if you like a really heavy juniper gin they're great at delivering that but i think a lot of the expansion in gin over the last sort of decade has really moved you know you must always taste of juniper but it doesn't have to be you know in your face mm. so our gin is probably a bit more like a pre-war style where there's the, the juniper will, will start and, and then it'll drift out in the yeah. flavor profile towards some of the other things like the like the grapefruit so it's almost so softer, a softer gin experience. Yeah, yeah. What, um, so, so something that we're always kind of interested in understanding, you know, um, when it comes to startups, independent businesses, is, is kind of how you go on that journey of developing your identity. Like, you know, if, if you're looking at the market um, and, you know, there's, a, there's another business, um, out there in, in an emerging sort of segment within drinks like what would your advice be to them on sort of shaping their brand shaping their product and making sure that they don't just become a copycat because there's a lot of that around yeah as well. this I, I mean look I'm, I'm there are people may way better qualified and more more technically trained than, than I to, to comment on that what what I think I would be best to say is well the way that we went about our process mm. Um, and, and you know, if somebody finds that useful or interesting, then but certainly I, I wouldn't wouldn't feel hugely confident telling telling sure. marketeers exactly how. But but marketing was really important. We we were very clear at the outset, and a lot of people actually said we were crackers to try and go for a retail price point, ultra premium retail price point of about forty pounds for a bottle of gin. People, you know, were sort of like, "That's crazy. Nobody's ever going to buy that." Yeah, we were pretty confident that actually, if we Rather than promoting ourselves as a gin brand, we promoted ourselves as a lifestyle brand in the way that mm. you would like almost an affordable luxury, yeah. like a, I don't know a nice candle in your downstairs loo or a, a posh you know pudding that you might have on a, on a nice you know weekday evening when and you've had a nice something to eat. So we were almost like an everyday affordable luxury, mm. um, but but it was very much about a lifestyle rather than necessarily just the. The botanicals that it contained those were yeah. important but it so the packaging in the way that we marketed the product and promoted it was very much to reflect the sorts of places and things that that we those target consumers would be seen yeah. at so we've had a very strong association over the seven years with predominantly with sport but also fashion and 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 music and and and, and when it really works we combine sport and music so yeah um, I'm actually apologies for all the noise, but I'm I'm, I'm recording this here from from Wentworth Golf Club, Brilliant. where we we're in the third year of our sponsorship of the BMW PGA. And our main sponsorship is actually the show stage in the Spectator Village, where they they do concerts on the Saturday and Sunday night. Um, so it's the Slingsby Show Stage, and that's combining our love of sport with you know music and entertainment, and and you know so there's a kind of a nice tie up there. Um, and it's 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 you know the the gin sits very comfortably in amongst um, you know the, that sort of golfing um, 
consumer base. Yeah. But we're also, we've, alongside that, we've been running a campaign now. We're in our second year of the Slingsby um, Cadets, where we take um, four celebrities who've never played golf before, um, and we provide them with equipment and training, and we, we follow them through their journey of learning to play golf, really to encourage more uh, female pod- participation in the sport. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're actually here at Wentworth today as, as the cadets for this year are in their playoff finals to determine which one of them will go and play in the BMW PGA uh, Pro-Am next month here at Wentworth. So uh, we've got Judy Murray and uh, Zara Tyndall, um, Dr. Zoe Williams uh, and Anna Woolhouse all, all competing actually in a, in a few hours' time. Oh, great. Um, you know, we, we, that's really important for us because it's, it's bringing out the social side of a sport, which is, you know, really important, but it's linking it back to, you know, meeting up with friends and enjoying good times responsibly with a, with a nice gin and tonic on the terrace kind of thing. So that's, that's why we've been trying to talk. So yeah, when, if I went back to, to launching, when we launched, we really tried to cover off, you know, those sorts of events and consumer opportunities that, that related to that target consumer. Um, so over the time we've done cows, we've done, the British and Irish Lions Tour of New Zealand in 2017. Uh, we've done quite a lot of work with uh, golf and cricket, a um, little bit of motorsport. We sponsored the um, UCI World Cycling Champions Championships and the Yorkshire um, Tour to Yorkshire for a number of years. So cycling, again, was one of those sorts of sports which, which crosses over the consumer um, that we were target, we were looking at. So yeah, it's been it's it's been a bit. We haven't sat down and planned it all out. It's been a little bit reactive, but but it's it's been something we've been consistently done over the last seven years. And that would be my advice to anybody launching a brand. It's it's relatively easy to make a product and to do it really well, um, but it's it's getting it standing out amongst the the noise of, of all the other competitors and. That really comes down to, to marketing and, and trying to promote your brand in amongst the consumers and indeed the retailers uh, it's, it's, or, or the entree. Strikes me as well that it's um it's a it's a kind of unique proposition and for for relevance as well. Just continually developing those kind of sporting affiliations and um, you know obviously you know supporting uh, women's sport is is massively uh, current at the moment with the success the lionesses have had. Yeah. I guess it, it gives the opportunity, doesn't it, when you've got you're not overly wedded to, uh, to, to to one particular way of doing things, but it's a case of constantly, you know, taking a fresh look at your core values. Then, yeah. then it keeps you relevant, doesn't it? And, it? and it keeps you sort of resonating with the core demographic you go after. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you, I literally couldn't have said it better than myself. That's and and to be fair, over the seven years of our, our evolution, I think our target consumer has actually changed a bit. Mm. Like we still have a slightly older, more affluent consumer in our in our target range, but actually we've, we've become, and I think it's mainly the flavours, we've become really appealing to, to a younger consumer. And so, you know, we've had to start targeting our, our marketing towards a, a slightly younger, more more millennial type consumer. Um, and that's also been reflected in the, the decline of the price point. So when we set out at £40, the market wouldn't really sustain that now. We're, we're probably, well, we are around about the £30 mark. Um, because that's where the market's got to. It's become so saturated with brands that, you know, holding a premium price really doesn't give you any competitive advantage, positive disadvantage. So yeah. in order to maintain volumes, you've, you've really it's become very price competitive. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
What um, just for anybody that's interested in the you know BWS category, what are some of the key trends in spirits and gin at the moment moving forward? Well, I mean, gin's in decline. Um, I mean, COVID certainly won't have helped. And I know everybody said, oh, you know, well, I've been at home and I've drunk loads of your gin, and I, I thank them very much for that. We did see retail sales uh, increase by about 34% over the COVID period. But what everybody forgets is how many other opportunities you have when you're out on the on-trade, yeah, yeah. Uh, all of which was shut. So uh, during the COVID period, obviously, we lost our retail store as well, but we did replace that with, with a reasonable amount of online. Um, and Amazon became our biggest single customer that year. Uh, however, all of that said, we still lost about 60% of our revenues during wow. during COVID because of the on-trade and because we've got uh, 27 duty, world duty-free stores and some cruise liners and bits mm. and bits went. So, um, yeah, it was it was a difficult, tricky period. Uh, sorry, I'll just touch the... It was a tricky period from a trading perspective. Um, uh, that said, of course, we weren't doing shows and doing lots of marketing either. So, so yeah. it was a saving to be had. Um but I think now we come back and we see uh, the consumer has, I think there was already a shift towards home cocktails. Mm. Um, that's just, that was accentuated while people were in lockdown. So, you know, that, that move towards cocktails has, has, gin has suffered to a degree on that. Um, there's been a shift towards uh, spiced rum in, the, in particularly with the younger consumer. Um, so, so, so your gins, I wouldn't say it's had its day, it's still a very big category. But it's probably in a decline of around about 10 to 15 percent um, and certainly if you were launching a brand now uh, i think it's going to be very very hard to gain any significant traction with retailers or or the on-trade yeah. they're really trying to rationalize their ranges rather than expand them okay yeah yeah but there's always opportunities for new and innovative products so you yeah. know we still see some people come in and disrupt the market but i think it's very much a case of consolidation now yeah um, and I'll, i think you'll see some of the brands buying others we're already mm. seeing you know diageo buying chase and yeah. um and others um so you know sipsmith i think was bought by um by japanese buyers uh, quite a number of years ago so we're seeing that consolidation also within the within the market malfi was bought not so long ago yeah. as well um, in terms of product evolution, I think the flavors just kind of almost rotate. Um, we launched our Blackberry uh, about a year ago, and that's that's proved very popular. Gooseberry sort of come off a bit, um, and and I think you know people are always trying new things. But there's also new tonics and lots of there's mm. almost a flavor overload at the moment. And so we're actually starting to see people going back to good old fashioned straight up London Dry and yeah. just you know plain vanilla, good good old fashioned gin and tonic. Yeah, yeah. So it is a fashion thing, so it just goes in cycles. Well, that's what I love. That's what I love uh, FMCG more broadly, but particularly drinks, which we do so much in, um, because the the trends can be such big swings, and yeah. uh, especially if you. I mean, I, I love the on trade. Try and you know, get down to my local every now and again, see what's going on. It's very different my local compared to a like city centre destination, um, you know, venue, and then you compare that to events, and you know, there's so many small sub niches that have massive swing trends in them alone, yeah. and it's very easy, isn't it, to look at the on trade? But the on trade, it isn't this monolithic thing, is it? It's made up of so many different channels, so many Huge. different product segments. It's fascinating. Yeah, if you just took festivals or events. Yeah. You know, we were, we were being, we were guests of Freeman's at. Um, at Silverstone this year and the scale right. of their operation just yeah. to, to look after 300 odd thousand mm. visitors you know and you mentioned the lionesses at Wembley you know again 
just you know being represented in those sporting stadia alone is, is just a you know there's a huge opportunity but it's very very hard for a, a challenger brands which is our us to, to really make penetration into those sorts of markets you've really got to start with the smaller independent pub groups and start building yeah. through that yeah, uh, yeah unless of course sometimes you just get lucky but you know, yeah. so, <laughs> Um, I think, you know, it's, it's the old Arnold Palmer thing, the harder you work, the luckier you get, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Well, it sounds like there's some fantastic activations going on at the moment in Wentworth. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, well, I, and we're, we're also, we, we, we're very excited. We signed up for three years with Royal Ascot. So we are the Great. official partner for Ascot for the next three years. And that's provided some fantastic opportunities to showcase the brand. So we're really, really proud of that. And uh, I'm very excited about doing that for the next uh, well, we're halfway through this year now, so it's a two and a half years. So that's that's a really exciting opportunity for us. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, and just for anybody um, that's kind of you know listening, watching, thinking about your story, the business story, in their own career, like what advice would you have for somebody wanting to build a successful career in you know sales and marketing innovation, you know, in drinks? Well, I think it's we, the bits of advice we got at the beginning was it's all about the packaging, um, and, and we never really subscribed entirely to that we thought the packaging is really important and detail is really really important in that but i think you've got to have a great product mm. and it's a liquid it, it, you you know you can you can through packaging you persuade somebody to buy something once but if it's not very good they're not going to buy it again so you, yeah, yeah. you know to me you've got to have a, a really good product that people like well packaged and then with a good backstory and more and more importantly these days you know, the um, sustainability and recycling and all that sort of stuff that, that particularly the younger consumers are really, really concerned about. So all of that stuff's got to be really well thought through and robust. And, and if you, I think honesty and integrity are really important in your brand values and everything that you do and say. So right from the outset, we've, we've always been very clear about how our product's made, where we source things. Um, because I think, you know, if you, if you're economic with the truth in any way, shape, or form, it'll come and it'll come yeah, and definitely. consumers really aren't, don't forgive these days. So I think having real integrity and honesty about how you go about your, your, your business and how proud you are of it, um, and, and yeah, having having fun. You know, it's, mm. it, we all work really hard. So if you don't have fun, and you know, I spend a lot of the time, my time with my team, just trying to tell them, look, it's you know, let's let's remember that, enjoy yourselves and smile. Yeah. And, and, and that comes through in spades when, when they meet with consumers or in the trade, you know, people, um, you know, like, like talking to us because we, we haven't, you know, we, we're serious, but we have a bit of a laugh as well. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. when... <laughs> oh, that's, that's good advice, actually. In fact, uh, you're probably one of the first people on our podcast in the last eight months that said you just remember to have fun as well which I, I wholeheartedly agree I mean our logo uh, it's over there is it it's over there Can't, yeah mirror here. it's a donut so we, we're definitely about having fun here um, trans fat free though I'm sure you what's that trans fat free Ooh, probably not <laughs> no not if I'm eating it <laughs> yeah um but what are there any resources or you know podcast books that you really benefited from you know in your personal development that you recommend? Well, I mean, look, I'm 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 of the age where I mean a podcast. I, I, I didn't even know what they were up until a few years ago. I'm you know I'm on I'm a Facebook generation, not a not a TikTok or even you know it's Instagram or a TikTok. Um, so so podcasts are something I'm actually discovering for myself for the first time more recently, um, and the wealth of information that is available is fantastic. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, in terms of, uh, 
I, I, I'm not a great academic in terms of studying things and probably ought to have read more about different things, but I, I, I sign it kind of like plagiarize. I, I kind of look across and think, if Coca-Cola are doing that, and who on earth hasn't heard of Coca-Cola, then there must yeah. be some reason for doing it. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of look at brands like Coca-Cola or we, we always used, um, um, oh goodness, I've forgotten this, uh, Grey Goose. Yeah. We've always used Grey Goose as a bit of an inspiration because mm. it's, it's it's available everywhere, but it always maintains its premium sort of cachet. You know, you can get it in corner shops, but it's it's still it's still perceived yeah. as a real quality product. Yeah, yeah, so we, yeah. we've always sort of used that as a bit of an inspiration. We 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 learned a lot from Sip Smiths as well. So mm. we're more, I suppose, we're we're more sort of practical um, yeah. and looking across at things and saying, well, if they're doing that, then why why don't we? And, and we've also always had the ethos of, of you know, act like a big a big brand. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and behave as much as we can, behave like a big brand. So th- those have probably been more of our inspirations than, mm. than necessarily, a, you know, a particular sort of, you know, business guru or a, a, or a um, you know, particular podcast or other source of information. But, but also, and just, you know, listening to our colleagues you know i've got a fabulous team and they're really enthusiastic and you know they've got great ideas sometimes they need tempering a bit but but you know always listening to them and respecting their views on things yeah and you know and and allowing people to you know we we touched on the lionesses allowing people the the freedom to express themselves you know in the context i think is really really important that's that's really interesting yeah yes definitely um a theme in conversations that we have is you know the books and resources are, are important but actually uh, the answer is normally there if you take the time to observe and listen and sometimes you like you say you've got to get out of the way haven't you and listen to the experts that you've surrounded yourself with because it's, it's definitely um something that we've sort of um found ourselves me and Adam with this business but it's a theme in the people we speak to that are successful founders is if you're a founder you know you tend to be a, a great generalist and visionary but you, you tend to be a jack of all trades don't you in, in certain yeah. certain ways so actually when it comes to asking a, a particular question on on one important aspect of the business sometimes you've just got to get out of the way haven't you and, and yeah. let, let the expert speak and, and that's that is a I think that is a real challenge for founders I mean I'm inherently lazy so it's not a problem for me but but for you know Mike for example, you know, sometimes he does find it quite hard to let go. But, but you know, the, when we when we've grown our business and evolved it, brought high quality people mm. in, we've got to trust in them and and, yeah. and allow them to to transition. And that's you know, when now the business is what seven years old, you know, it's, it, we're not doing all of the day to day things every, anymore. We're, we're stepping back and you know, encouraging the people that we've brought in, the talent that we've brought in to to do their things and express themselves. And sometimes that is a bit scary. I, I certainly can remember a time sitting and getting quite kind of annoyed that I didn't know that something was happening the, yeah. you know, next week or whatever. And, and then I thought, no, but that's the whole idea. You know, you, you can't be on top of all of these things all of the time. So, um, yeah, it, it does take a bit of transitioning sometimes, uh, particularly when it's your, it's almost like your baby. You oh, know, yeah. it's, um, it's, uh, but that also prevent, you know, that provides a great opportunity for, for, you know, for us to enjoy it and celebrate and share the ideas with, with our colleagues. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but good people, really, really important. It's a real cliche, but we, we, you know, we spend a lot of time around sport, but we really admire mm-hmm. sports mentality, and that teamwork is 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 crucial to us. And we do a lot of work around 
core values and, and you know, uh, engagement surveys and all that sort of stuff to understand our people. Yeah, brilliant. No, that's, that's fantastic. And thanks so much for uh, all the insights that you've shared today, Marcus. I've learned loads. It's been really interesting for me and I'm sure our listeners and watchers have as well. Um, if you've enjoyed this show, please do um, drop Marcus a note on LinkedIn. Thank him for his time and his insights. Uh, you know, we, we really appreciate uh, people coming on, sharing with us, investing back in the industry. And uh, get yourself up to Harrogate. Go and try some products. Um, try the, uh, yeah, the, um, the Navy. Uh, Navy strength. strength. Yeah. yeah, and uh, try the rhubarb as well. Um, I would say that because I'm from Yorkshire and, uh, yeah. and wait for the particular where the rhubarb comes from. But um, well, I, I just on another point, actually, um, you, you kind of are you guys on kind of Instagram, Twitter, etc. People can yeah, follow, yeah. follow all the socials. Uh, at Slingsby Social, um, um, and Instagram and Facebook. Um, Sprint Harrogate is on LinkedIn to, uh, and Twitter. Um, yeah. We haven't gone to TikTok just yet, or at least if we have, they haven't told me. Yeah. <laughs> Great, great. No, well, thank thanks, Marcus. And, thank uh, you very much for your yeah, time. I really, really Take care now. Cheers. Bye bye. bye.